0: So if you have a Bible, or an app, uh, open it up to the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, as we continue our journey through this book. We're in chapter six. And when you first read it or hear it, uh, if you've been following along with us, uh, it's going to at first seem to have absolutely no connection to what just came before. Chapter 5 focused on the issue of sexual boundaries and how important it is for believers in Jesus to honor and uphold these boundaries that God has given us his good plan for sexuality. He has given us guardrails, so to speak. We've used that uh, picture a couple times. Guardrails to keep us on his road, the road of his good design for us in, in all areas of life, not just the sexual aspect of it. These, these guardrails to keep us from going into the ditch, to keep us from falling off the cliff, to keep us from hurting ourselves and hurting others, and on the positive side, to stay on that road that leads to joy. So honoring his design, honoring his design and, and helping one another stay within his guardrails is a loving thing to do. Now we come to chapter 6, and it, it feels like the Apostle Paul just goes, Chi! and flips the channel. I guess it's more like this now. Uh, <laughs> boy, I dated myself there, didn't I? Turning a knob. <laughs> it's as if he hit that remote, and the channel went to a completely different thing. Okay, so let's look at it. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says this, When one of you has a grievance against another does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints or do you not know that the saints will judge the world and if the world is to be judged by you are you incompetent to try trivial cases do you not know that we are to judge angels how much more than matters pertaining to this life so if you have such cases why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Okay, so now the issue is church members filing lawsuits against one another over some kind of conflict, apparently financial, based on the wording Paul's using here, talking about defrauding and things like that. And Paul has some very strong words about this and uh, how to handle it, how to resolve it. But it, it, it really feels like a drastic change in topic, doesn't it? I mean, from sexual immorality to financial lawsuits. What in the world do those things have in common? Well, maybe more than you might think. It turns out that both of these problems are actually symptoms of the deeper problem this trap of do-it-yourself spirituality. Instead of living the way Jesus wants his followers to live, which is by relying on God's wisdom that he has given to us, as we saw in chapter two, in the spirit taught words of scripture, instead of relying on God's wisdom, They are relying on their own wisdom, whatever makes the most sense to them. So Proverbs 3.5, we've looked at it before, but such a great verse, great one to memorize. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean, do not rely on your own understanding. But see, they're doing exactly the opposite and it's because they think they're so wise. They think they're so spiritual. They think they've arrived. They've got it all figured out. And so the common thread between chapter 5 and chapter 6 is this, that when it comes to answering some big question of life, when it comes to deciding what's best, what's the best way to go, whether we're talking about Sexual issues or resolving conflicts or whatever, they keep leaning on their own understanding. And so they keep getting it wrong. They just keep getting it wrong. What makes sense to them, what seems like the right thing to do to them, is not, because they're relying on their wisdom instead of God's. And this is one of the biggest lessons of the book for all of us who have put our trust in Christ. And seek to follow him. It's like, we've got to learn this. Always rely on God's wisdom. Always. Don't default to our own, because we'll get it wrong. I don't know if you sensed it or not, but Paul's pretty fired up here about the way they're mishandling these conflicts within the church. Uh, And we don't know the details of the dispute. We don't know if it was some kind of like, you know, conflict over property or some kind of a loan that went south or something. We don't know, but we do know how they were trying to settle their conflicts by taking each other to court. And Paul is appalled. He's appalled. Why is he so upset? What's the big deal? Because they're handling things just like the world does when they're supposed to be different. That's the problem. They're supposed to be showing their neighbors who Jesus is. That's what they're called to do. But they are completely misrepresenting him. Let's just think about it for a minute. What is the message of Jesus? I just summarize here. Okay? And if you've never heard it before, so glad you're here to hear it, okay? And if you're rusty or you're, you're vague, let, let's just think about this, okay? What's the message? The message is that by trusting him and what he has done for us, his death and his resurrection on our behalf, through trusting him, God rescues us from spiritual death from separation from him and gives us new life through this faith connection with Jesus, union with him. And if we have come to know him, if we have experienced his complete forgiveness for all of our wrongs, and if we have become part of his kingdom, his people, then his spirit now lives in us and enables us to live life the way he wants us to and and what way is that well in broad terms the great commandments that jesus gave us to love god with all our hearts full mind and strength and to love each other to love our neighbor as ourselves, as god defines love so that's it Jesus, by his death and resurrection, we put our faith in him. God rescues us from spiritual death, gives us new life, gives us a spirit, enables us to love God, love one another. Well, funny thing, suing each other doesn't look like loving each other. It looks like people who don't know Jesus. And see, that's exactly the problem. Paul is saying, in effect, It's there in the Greek, if you look. No. <laughs> he is saying, what, what are you doing? You guys, the way you're handling your conflicts with each other, just like the way you're handling your sexuality, it, looks, it makes it look like you don't even know Jesus. For all the world, you look like people who've never encountered Jesus. The life-changing grace of God. This is one of the most important truths for us to get a hold of. If we know Christ, that once we become united to Him, the way we live is no longer mainly about us. It's about how our lives affect others. It's about how our lives communicate. Who Jesus is. And Paul says this explicitly at the end of the chapter, in chapter 6, if you go, skip ahead to verse 19. He says, Do you not know? He says it a lot to these people. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Let that sink in. You are not your own you were bought with a price therefore glorify god with your body in your body you're not your own you were bought you're god's so glorify him says in colossians whatever you do word or deed whatever you do do for the glory of god now, is that, is that good news or is that bad news? Well, see, it all depends. It all depends. If you, think, if you think that living for yourself and pursuing your own agenda is what will bring you the greatest joy and satisfaction, if you think that's the way to be truly fulfilled and to have the best life, well then that's going to sound like bad news. Like, what? What do you mean I'm not my own? I don't You mean I don't get to live the way I want? I have to live for God's glory? It's going to sound like bad news. But if on the other hand you realize that living for yourself and pursuing your agenda is a dead end because it promises you joy and satisfaction but it never delivers. Because, why? Because you're not great enough to satisfy your longing for joy and for glory. You were not created to spend your life gazing in the mirror. Being satisfied with your reflection. Oh my goodness, look at that. That satisfies my thirst for greatness right there. Not a chance. Not a chance. You were created to... to, Admire, to glorify, to be satisfied with something far greater, the glory of God. So, glorifying God, you get to glorify God. You get to be amazed by His glory. You get to experience His love. You get to reflect His greatness with your life. That's good news. That's not bad news. Is that hard to remember? <laughs> Yes, which is why we get together like this and we get our faces into the Bible and we, uh, we remind each other what it looks like to trust Jesus in every area of life because we forget or we don't know. Is it hard to trust Jesus in every area of your life? Yeah. Why is this so hard? Short answer, because we're selfish and stupid. <laughs> There's no point in sugarcoating it. And that's why we pray for one another. And that's why we encourage one another. You know, the Bible says we've got to encourage every, each other daily. You know what that tells me? We need it daily. The daily encouragement to resist the temptation to live for ourselves. We need to encourage one another. We challenge each other. We've got to help each other live within those guardrails. That we would be a people where it's safe and it's good to share our struggles that we have to stay within God's guardrails. Because we all do. We all do. You know, whatever the guardrails God puts up, there's going to be areas where we want to go outside the guardrails, and we think that's better. And we need to help each other. We need to help each other with our struggles to stay in those guardrails, because it's good. It's good. Okay, so... When we have conflicts with one another, I didn't say if, okay? It's going to happen. It doesn't matter how much we're progressing in our walk with Jesus. We're imperfect. We're messed up in different ways. And we're going to have conflicts with one another. We just are. And if you try to make it your goal to avoid conflict at all costs, you're going to end up just playing this game of pretending that everything's fine when it isn't. And that doesn't work. It doesn't work. So when we have conflicts with one another, how do we not do what the Corinthians were doing and instead honor Jesus and love one another? Well, that's a big topic, deserves a whole series. But let's focus on what this passage teaches us. And what we see here is a mindset that we need to have. There's a perspective that we need to maintain in order to handle our conflicts well. You'll notice Paul says both in in verses 2 and 3, says it twice, Do you not know? Do you not know? So there's something we're supposed to know. There's truth. That we need to believe. There's truth that we need to keep in mind to respond to conflicts in a way that honors Christ and loves one another. Two truths, really. So here we go. First, to honor Jesus in your conflicts when you have them, not if you have them, to honor Jesus in your conflicts remember the identity he has given you. Remember the identity he has given you. Or say it another way, remember who you really are in him. Remember who you are. So in verse one, Paul refers to two different groups of people that you can go to to help you resolve your conflicts, settle your disputes. Two groups, the unrighteous or the saints. Well, who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the secular courts, it's the unrighteous versus fellow members of the church, fellow believers in Jesus. Okay, right away we have a problem because we often assume that saints are good people and the unrighteous are bad people. But Paul calls the Corinthians saints. See verse two, do you not know that the saints will judge the world and if the world's to be judged by you? He's calling them saints, but they don't seem like very good people. They're certainly not doing good which is why Paul is reprimanding them. So how are we to understand this? Well, okay, here's what you have to know. Paul is referring to their identity, not to their moral quality. He's talking about their identity, not their moral quality. A saint is not, contrary to popular understanding, a saint is not necessarily a better person A saint is a person who has received God's free gift of righteousness in Jesus and become one of his people. It's who you are, not how you are. It's who you are, not how you are. In calling the judges of Corinth the unrighteous, Paul's not really saying that they're worse people than the Corinthians. That's not his point. What he's saying is they don't know Jesus. They're not related to him. They don't care about his agenda necessarily. That's not what they're about. See, the good news of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the gospel is first and foremost about God changing your identity because of your connection to Jesus. It is then about how he enables you to live out that new identity he has given you. But the first and foremost issue is changing your identity. Now, so if you've never heard it before, please hear it now. Please hear this. Christianity is not about God giving his approval to good people who earn it. Christianity is about God giving his approval to bad people because Jesus earned it for them. And they by faith have become united to him and now his righteousness counts as theirs that's Christianity Romans 3:23 for all that's everybody everyone in this room all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God everybody and are justified okay that's an important word that means made right with God made right with God get his approval they are justified by his grace as a gift. A gift is unearned. It's a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, what Christ accomplished on the cross. Ephesians 2.5, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Okay, dead people don't make themselves alive. There's nothing a dead person can do to make themselves live. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ by uniting us to him. By grace you've been saved. So, the problem with the Corinthians, the problem is that they're handling their, the way they're handling their conflicts is completely inconsistent with who they are. They're acting like, they're not who they are so paul you know what he does he reminds them who they are that's how he's going to deal with this problem you guys are acting like you don't know who you are let me tell you who you are well what does he do first he calls them saints he calls them that what does that mean it means holy ones what what does that mean I mean, that's only helpful if you know what holy means. And once again, here, this is often a problem with how we typically think. We typically think that holy means somebody really good. It actually means somebody really different. Different. When we become united to Jesus by faith, he sets us apart for his purposes. That's what it means. So I've used this illustration several times, but if you have in your home, special dishes that only come out on special occasions, or you know that red plate thing? Does anybody still have those? That red plate says, you are special, and it comes out when it's somebody's birthday or something. Okay, you are special, that means you are holy. That plate is a holy plate. It's got a unique purpose. Okay, so those who belong to Jesus are God's special ones his holy ones holy is our identity if we belong to Jesus it means we are his now back in 316 Paul said this to these messed up believers in Jesus he said do you not know there he goes again Do you not know that you, and here it's plural. He's talking about the whole church. Do you you not know, the church of Jesus in Corinth, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God dwells in you? In chapter six, he's talking about the individual. Here he's talking about the group. God's spirit dwells in you. You are God's temple. And if anybody destroys God's temple, don't mess with churches. God will destroy him. Why? Because God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So because of Jesus, he says, you're God's temple. You're the place where God's spirit dwells. That makes you holy. That makes you utterly unique. That makes you incredibly valuable to God. So what should you do? Live out that identity. Live it out. Live out who you are. Live as people indwelt by God's Spirit. Displaying love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit. Does that sound hard? It's impossible. It's utterly impossible apart from the work of God's Spirit in our lives. That's why it's called fruit of the spirit. God's spirit produces those qualities in our lives as we rely on him. How do you rely on him? What does that mean? It means believing his word. It means following his directions. It means trusting his promises. If he's in you, you're a saint. Biblically speaking, there's only two options here. You're either a saint or you're an ain't. that's it how do you know if you're a saint do you know jesus do you know him are you connected to him by faith have you said yes to him and received him into your life today could be the day john 1 12 to all who received him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. Okay, so this is, the, this is the other way Paul reminds them of their identity. They're not just saints. They're family. Verse 5. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough? Man, I love that. These are the wisdom. They were all about it. They really thought they were wise. And Paul says, really? There's nobody wise among you to settle a dispute between brothers But brother goes to law against brother. Verse 8, you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Can you feel how bothered Paul is by this? Fellow Christians, members of a church, part of God's family, the ones Jesus commanded to love one another, and all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. They're ripping each other off. They're taking each other to court. They're forgetting who they are. They're forgetting their family. Look at 1 John 5, one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Every genuine believer in Jesus is family to every other genuine believer in Jesus. Why? Because we have the same father. And if we love the father, then we're supposed to love his family. I mean, think about this just in ordinary family terms. If you heard of a family and those family members are suing one another, wouldn't you think, man, there's something wrong with that family? They're not acting like family. And that's a point God, Paul's making. You guys are family. But you're, you're sure not acting like it. You've got to remember who you are. You've got to embrace the identity Jesus has given you, and you've got to live it out. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. You are saints. You are holy ones. You are God's unique ones. You are family. Okay, the other truth. To honor Jesus in your conflicts, to love one another, anticipate the future he has promised you. Keep the future He has promised you in mind. See it, it, it's not just that their behavior is inconsistent with their identity. It's also inconsistent with their future. So this is amazing. Verse two. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And the world judge here is in the sense of rule. And if the world's to be judged by you, you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? What a burn. Verse three, Do you not know? That we are to judge angels how much more than matters pertain to this, this life. What is Paul talking about? He's referring to this promise that when Jesus returns and when he establishes his rule over this world, his followers will reign with him. Do you, do you know that was humanity's original purpose? He created us in his image to reign over this planet as his representatives, but humanity failed, and ever since, this world has been in total rebellion against God, but Jesus came to redeem us, and he came to give us our true identity back, and to give us that purpose back that one day we will reign with Jesus. Romans 8.16, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, and if we are children, then we are heirs. co Heirs of God. Think about that. Heirs of God. How much does God own? Co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. Revelation 5.9, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you, Lamb of God, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is the future promised to those who belong to Jesus by faith. So as children of God, we are co-heirs with Christ. And when Christ returns... And our bodies get fixed and glorified, and this earth is made new, we will reign with Christ. And you know what that means? We inherit, wait for it, everything. We inherit everything. Well, now, if we remember that, If we remember that we are God's heirs and it's only a matter of time till we inherit everything, shouldn't that change how we think about money and possessions now? Shouldn't that make us reluctant to fight with other members of the family over those things? And by the way, this is not a slam on the courts. This is not saying the courts don't have an important role. They do. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 13. It's implied there. The the whole uh, issue of criminal justice and of enforcing the law. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about dragging our family squabbles into court like Judge Judy or something. And it's ugly. It makes it look like we do not believe what Jesus promised us. If you know you're going to inherit everything tomorrow, so to speak, any losses you experience today are temporary. Now, that doesn't mean losses don't matter. It doesn't mean it's not a problem. It just means we need to seek to solve our resol- or, uh, resolve our disputes within the family in ways that are loving toward one another and honoring to the Lord. See, Jesus gives us a whole different definition of winning and losing. He said, you know, Paul says, the fact that you have lost you've already lost. You can win a lawsuit and you can lose something much more important. What's that? You can lose the opportunity to make Jesus look good. You lose the opportunity to make Jesus look more valuable to you than money or possessions or winning an argument. On the other hand, if you trust in Jesus and you trust in his promises and you seek to honor him by loving your brothers and sisters, then even if it costs you, you still win. Okay, obviously we haven't talked about details, what to do in a conflict. As I said, that's probably a whole series. Uh, The only detail we're given here is as believers to take our conflicts To some other wise believers and ask them to help resolve it. See, this is about the big picture. This is about the perspective we need. This is about the mindset we've got to hold on to as we deal with our conflicts. We've got to remember who we really are and we've got to look forward to what is really going to happen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for all you have done for us in Jesus and all that you have promised to do for us in Jesus. Lord, will you help us remember we live in a world that does not remind us of these things. In fact, it tells us exactly the opposite. It tells us we get to define our own identity. It tells us what we've got to get while the getting's good because there's no tomorrow. And he who dies with the most toys wins. Lord, we we are hearing lies all the time. How we need your help. How we need one another to remember who we are in Jesus and all you've promised to do for us. Lord, help us cling to your promises. Help us live out who we really are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.